Hello and welcome to Piece of Me Inside Zalando. Why is this podcast called Piece of Me? Well, we ask each of our guests to bring along three items that are important to them. These pieces of me can be absolutely anything at all, but each one has a valuable lesson attached or an important story to tell. My name is Janine Matos, and I am a Senior Program Manager for Partner Services. This podcast series is all about taking a look behind the scenes into fashion and tech retail. It's a world that is challenging, constantly evolving, and always rewarding. We create the most fulfilling chapters of our working lives together. We'll give you the tools and tactics to succeed in fashion and tech retail and find out more about leading figures in the industry as we discuss their piece of me. On this episode, I'm talking to Hertje Brodersen, Head of Product Design and Partner Services, focusing on Direct. Hi, Hertje. Welcome. I am so pleased to have you today here. Hi, Janine. Nice to be here. For the ones listening, you don't know, but since I'm not only a host for the podcast, I actually am a program manager. Hati and I work for the same team, let's say, because she is from the design side. I am from the program management side. But today it's not about me. It's about you and your daily work and your position. And of course, the three pieces that you brought in. Do you want to first tell us what the three items are? Yes. Let's start with a book. It's a very heavy book. I brought you the collected works of Edith Wharton, who's uh, one of my favorite authors. But there is a reason why I brought it. It has to do with my education. Then I brought a second book, which is a much slimmer volume than the first one. Um, it's very old. It's tattered. It's got yellowed pages. It's held together by a string. It's an old cookery book that my great-grandmother put together. And I brought you the tiniest of little chairs as a symbol for my ongoing passion for photographing misplaced chairs in the streets of wherever I go. Wow, that is so interesting. I'm really looking forward to the stories of each of the items. But before we dig into those, let's maybe focus first on what you do as head of product design in ZDirect. Yeah, so as a, as a head of product design, I'm leading a team of product designers and content designers who are collaborating with the product team to build the tool that you mentioned earlier, which is called ZDirect. And ZDirect is a tool that we offer to our partners uh, who want to sell their products on Zalando, and we help them sort of get these products online, manage the business, uh, see how sales are going, manage the shipping. So it's a lot of, let's say, backstage tooling that as a consumer, you would never really see we try to understand what are the needs of our partners? What do they need in their daily business to be effective and to be successful when they're selling on Zalando? And so we're trying to build the tools in a way that makes them more efficient. In addition, I lead content design. So content design, similar to product design, very simply speaking, you could say product design is designing with pixels and content design is designing with words. So this is more about content hierarchies, where do you put the right content to make things easy to understand, what is the best flow of information, and ultimately also copywriting. And then, of course, research uh, looks into gathering insights about the needs and wants of the people we design for to make sure that we're building the right things that really solve their problems. So one of the nice things that is unique, I think, about product design at Zalando is that we have this really, really strong community. Um, and uh, it's something that I think I enjoy most about working here. So I have, you know, a community of peers, 
in Zetterite, but I'm also part of this larger community um, of a couple of hundred designers, researchers, content designers who together build this holistic experience of what Zalando is, both for consumers and for partners. And it's a really fun community where we get to do campfires every month. We get to connect in community events, you know, to to help each other learn new things, um, to exchange thoughts. Um, so there's a lot of activity uh, in this community. So you as a product design community, you also have an external blog, as I heard, on medium.com where you share achievements and also your knowledge to everyone who's in, interested in product design. Yeah, exactly. There's a blog on Medium that the Zalando Design community puts out. And there you can read a little bit about what moves us. If you're interested in applying, you'll probably find an article that tells you a few tricks about how to succeed in the application process. Or if you're interested in how we're designing for complex solutions or complex problems, you'll find an article where a few of our designers describe what the process is um, and share some of their recommendations. So there's just a wealth of different insights in the community. And it's really nice to see that we can use these not just internally, but also share some of these insights uh, with the wider design community out there. So yeah, if you're interested after listening to the podcast, go to Medium and look for Zalando Design and go through all the articles. And if you're interested in applying, there you have the tips and tricks. And don't forget to go to our jobs platform and see if there are any open positions. Okay, Katya, let's go to your first item, which is a huge book of your favorite writer, you said. Yes, it's a, it's a collection of Edith Wharton novels. And Edith Wharton was an American author who lived in the 19th century into the 20th century. And the reason why I brought it is that it's representative of my start in design in that what I studied has nothing to do with what I do now, which I think sometimes you get people, you know, you study biology and then you work in biology. And uh, my career wasn't quite like that. I like meandering. So after high school... I wanted to go abroad and I wanted to live in the U.S. And so I applied to become an au pair. I spent a year there. Uh, I've always loved reading. And so afterwards, I was convinced I need to study literature. And so I signed up to study North American literature and culture. And I have a master's degree in that. Um, it's really interesting because when you, when you study literature, you do a lot of taking texts apart and putting them together with new meaning, deconstructing things taking things away from it, but then writing papers that sort of summarize insights and sort of try to move the piece a little bit further, move the thinking a little bit further. And so studying literature is not just about reading, but it's really about understanding the context of something and, and engaging with it intellectually. And I think the kind of thinking that I learned in the study, I'm really benefiting from it as a designer, where we keep taking things apart and putting them together in new ways. It's a way of approaching things that I found really helpful, but obviously it's not a typical design career, right? So I've never been someone who went to design school. I studied literature and culture. I actually also studied cultural anthropology as a minor, which is also very helpful when you're working in user experience design, because you're always designing systems based on a particular person, you know, to design systems for humans. And so all this doesn't really give you a proper job, right? You have to figure out what it is that you want to do. And so initially I wanted to go into publishing 
And then I was looking for other things that I could do. And uh, someone I knew was a user experience designer, concept designer. And I just thought it was super interested what they were doing. I was like, okay, I might be able to do something like this. And so I started with an internship at a digital design agency. And that's how I got my start in user experience design. I mean, it's really interesting when you look at product design, you have a lot of people who come from different backgrounds. Some of them are from the humanities like myself. Others have really studied product design. Others have studied architecture or business or other, other areas. And I think one of the most fun things I've come to realize about product design is that because people have such a diverse range of backgrounds, you get this diverse range of thinking as well. Um, and I really love working in teams with people who have actually studied design and who really have like the expertise, like at a really, really deep level about what good design is. But if you combine these different ways of approaching design, whether you're an architect or a literary scientist or, a, you know, an educated designer, when these come together, like that's where we create really, really great stuff. Now let's talk about the second book you actually brought in from your grandmother. Yeah, so it's a it's a book of recipes. It's a handwritten one. And it's really just a stand-in for all the stuff from my family that's floating around my apartment. So especially in the kitchen, like if you look around, there will be cookbooks written by hand by different grandmothers, great-grandmothers, books that I inherited I have some little decorative elements that used to hang in my grandmother's cabinet, like little embroideries. I still um, have those. My grandma's kept giving me those with my name and birth dates. And like she's been doing all of those things. So I kind of also hang them around because I feel so sorry for the work she put in and then not using yeah. them. No, in my case, it's my grandmother, I think, received those or maybe they're from my great grandmother. And I'm not sure if she did them herself. Like there was a certain fashion of a certain type of embroidery that you would pinned to the shelves in your cabinet and then you would open it and, you know, get a nice little message about good housekeeping, the kind of stuff you would not post on Instagram, I guess. I don't know. You know, I have glasses from different sides of the family. I'm using the plates from my grandmother because they're cute. I'm using cutlery from my parents. So the whole house is sort of infused with stuff I brought from home and from different generations. And so this cookbook too, it's like, I, I love cooking. I mean, it's also interesting to discuss this in the context of feminism. I think one of the <laughs> great and when I was 14, like I was prepping a meal for the bigger family and she said afterwards, oh, you're going to become a good housewife one day. And I was mortally offended because even at 14, like I really didn't want to become a housewife. Like there's nothing wrong with being a housewife. But even at 14, I knew maybe that is not my path. And I did have these feminist leanings. And so there's always a bit of a there's always a bit of a conflict about I really love cooking. I really love reading. I love romance. Like I love a lot of things that are traditionally read as feminine. But yeah, I mean, the fact is I like to feed people, um, especially with uh, with baked goods. And I have several grandmothers and great-grandmothers who uh, were a really big influence on me when it comes to baking. And I still make some of their old recipes. You should bring them to the office. I mean, maybe you can just start bringing once a month something from those recipes. That sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. I used to do that, actually. It's interesting. I used to be a consultant, like a freelance consultant for many years and so I did bring baked goods to the office, but it's interesting how every office has a different food dynamic. So in some offices, you would put the cake out and it disappears within seconds. And in other offices, you put it out and nobody touches it. And I also find in recent years, of course, you have a lot of folks who are vegan 
or uh, who have like a gluten intolerance or something. So it's, you know, it's like a bit more difficult to, to please everyone. I had a lead who was gluten intolerant. I would now and then bake, let's say for my birthday in Germany, we have the culture that we bring our own cake when it's our birthday. Yeah. <laughs> or when it was my lead's uh, birthday once also. So of course, I always baked two kind of cakes. So yeah, I know that struggle. <laughs> I do like um, baking for people, but it just, I don't know. I, I always keep coming back to the sort of, you know, the role of a woman in the office and, and how you position yourself. I actually, I think one of our colleagues brought cakes to the office and it was a man. And I thought, oh, this is so refreshing because usually it's always the women bringing cake to the office. So sometimes I'm a little bit like, well, if I'm the one feeding people again, you know, am I going to put myself into service of everyone? Like there's a lot of, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it sometimes. But then from two books, let's go to the third passion of yours, apparently, which is the third piece that you brought in. You said a tiny chair. It's a tiny chair. Yeah. So it's a small chair. It's probably... You know, if you think of a little uh, dice that you, you know, to play games, like it's probably about double that size, like if you stack two dice, um, so it's really tiny. I think it's made out of brass. If you know me, whether that's as a colleague or a friend or a family member, and you've walked around any city with me, you will probably at some point see me say or hear me say something like, chair, and then I disappear and run across the busy street and take a picture of some sad, abandoned, decrepit chair that's sitting at the side of the street. I've been trying to pinpoint when I took the first picture. It's probably somewhere between sort of 16 and 20 years ago. And um, I started taking photos of lonely chairs that were standing outside. And then at some point I started curating a little exhibit for my apartment at the time. And I called my apartment the misplaced chair gallery. Um, and I no longer live in that apartment and I no longer have the pictures of the chairs up, but I have an Instagram account and I use the hashtag misplaced chair gallery under which I collect all my chairs. And the funny thing is initially, so I, I think I started getting really active on Instagram around 2010 or something. And I remember people started taking my hashtag and I felt so offended at it. I was like, this is my hashtag. But then people started tagging me and like suddenly someone was writing from Turkey and I was like, oh, look, I saw this chair and I thought of you and I didn't even know this person. I thought they're traveling around the world and they see a chair and they think of me. And I thought that was amazing. And so now a lot of people who don't even know me use the hashtag. But it's also when, for example, well, I have a few team members who are out and about a lot and they keep sort of, you know, sending chairs across for me. And uh, I share those in my stories. And of course, I share all the chairs that I find on my travels right now. And it's a real obsession. And it's like, once you start, once you start walking around with me and you've seen it once, like you can't unsee it, I've been told. So if you have started looking for misplaced chairs, you can't unsee it again. So I'm sorry, everyone who has been infected with the chair virus. It's a fun thing. I still, still enjoy it. Waiting for my big exhibit, but I'll probably have a few thousand chairs at this stage. Wow. So what is the name of that account? So the, the name is Hypercatalecta. A hypercatalec, I think, is a superfluous syllable in a verse. And because I talk a lot, I turned it into my username. So uh, Hypercatalecta is the account, but the hashtag uh, for the misplaced chairs is misplaced chair gallery. 
do you have a favorite chair? Is there that one picture that you took from a chair? Like that is actually my favorite one, or it has the most history or actually situation attached to it. Right now, the problem is in, in Berlin, I'm living in Charlottenburg and Charlottenburg is relatively clean. One of the sad parts about my existence in the Berlin West is that I can collect as many as I used to before. In the past, one of my favorite things about these chairs is, so a lot of people just put a chair that they no longer want. They put it outside, right? They just put it in front of the building they live in. And I take a picture, you know, and then I come back a day later. There's a certain type of chair that always disappears, But there's also a type of chair that nobody, even if it's still fully functioning, if it's one of these cheap IKEA folding chairs, nobody will take it. And I find that a bit sad. These chairs are really cheap to buy, and it's easy to sort of rid yourself of them by just putting them on the street, but then nobody wants them. So it says a little bit about our approach to consumerism, I think. But of course, it also makes me sad. Chairs always, it's there for a person, right? So when you see an empty chair, there's a certain absence And if it's a used chair, it's also, it's a life lived in some way, and now it's no longer there. So it's, I don't want to become too um, philosophical about it. Like it's, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's fun to look at it. But yeah, there's, there's like an absence there that I think I find interesting. I would say a recent favorite find was a leather chair that was shaped like a big gorilla hand. Wow. That was amazing. That was the, one of the few times where I thought, Maybe I should take this home. Like, I have no issues leaving things where they are. But that was one of these times where I thought, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Everything has to come to an end. And so does also our conversation. <laughs> I just remembered me of this German sentence. Uh, Everything has an end. Does a sausage has too? Oh, God, I hate it so much. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't there a song? Isn't yeah, there yeah. Song? Alles yes. hat ein Ende, nur die Wurst oh, hat zwei. Yeah. That was not a good time for for German music. <laughs> Hatje, thank you so much for being today my guest. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was so nice listening about the chairs. I'm sorry if you now get some pictures from me. Well, I'm sorry that you will now notice every chair that you find in the wild. <laughs> And thank you everyone for listening in. Stay tuned for the next episode in two weeks. Thanks, Janine. It was fun. If you'd like to know more about our careers at Zalando, go to jobs.zalando.de. Our next episode is coming in two weeks. And I'll be talking to another guest from inside Zalando about life inside the fashion and tech retail industry. And of course, there are three pieces of me. In the meantime, visit our Instagram page, Inside Zalando, to know more about us. 